0: everyone, welcome to Baiguan Radio, a podcast series affiliated with Baiguan Newsletter. My name is Mu Chen, co-editor of Baiguan. Our mission is always providing the most relevant and the most unbiased facts and views about China. Through Baiguan Radio, we'll invite people from all walks of life to give you a fresh idea of how real people and business on the ground are. Today, my co-editor Robert and I will talk about key events in China and how we understand and contextualize them. So let's talk about some of the popular topics on China. Amongst our readers, actually our readers asked a lot of questions Mm -hmm. uh, recently. One of the uh, biggest news that was asked is related to statistics. Uh, The Bureau of Statistics actually announced that they're going to stop publishing youth unemployment rate beginning from August. There's a lot of discussion about it.
1: (laughs) A lot of my own discussion, I would say. A lot of making fun of this embarrassment.
0: It's feeding to the narratives again, right? That China is creating this black box of information. But I actually went to see the official WeChat articles. They did offer explanation. But again, when I asked one level or second level deeper, I cannot understand the logic behind it. It's not convincing at all. Right. So what do you think? Why, why are they doing this?
1: Well, I think at a fundamental level, I would argue that transparency is really not at the core of the Chinese value system, right? Transparency is good, everyone knows that. Transparency is good for governance. But I think within the Chinese value system, there are higher tiers of priorities. And in this particular case, I would argue it's pragmatism. The economy is not really doing well right now. And the government is very anxious to ignite the growth. And right now, what government understands is people's confidence is the most important driving force right now. You know, a lot of business people are not confident. A lot of investors are not confident. So they try to create more confidence by resetting expectations. And I think it's all part of that. Even though certain things are sacrificed, things like transparency. Right? Things like showing enough data to help you understand what's going on in the economy. I wouldn't say I agree with this approach, but I think underlying this act is still the anxiety of the government that they want the economy to do better. They are taking actions, and although some of the actions we don't necessarily agree with.
0: I'll buy it as an explanation. It's better than the narratives that China is trying to save face or try to right. save face globally, right? Not right. to show. But so there's no help.
1: point of saying face, right?
0: Yeah. But that's an easier narrative. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That China doesn't want to show the difficulties domestically. Yeah. Right. But your interpretation is actually uh, more pragmatic and rational, right? But when I look at that again, so you said that's a rational decision, serving the purpose of managing expectation, uh, but. Yeah, how was it made? It's quite abrupt. Yeah, decision is made. I mean, the announcement itself is quite abrupt, right? There's no pre-warming up. There's no you know uh, closing down, winding down the social buzz.
1: Yeah, that's the problem problematic part. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. setting expectations is right, but the how you do it is is actually very important. And I have to say, by just shutting this down. It's not really very responsible, and it's not really professional. But I can also totally understand how this kind of decision was made. Because in the best form of the world, we will want these government officials to give a clear explanation for you know, the statistics they, they, they had. People in the industry will always want the government to explain a little bit more about how they arrive at their statistics, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not just employment. Yeah. It's about the GDP, the CPI. There's minimal details. Yeah. There are no information about the sample size, the biases. When they kind of rebalance the statistics, there's no explanation at all. Nobody knows what they mean you know, when they publish their data anyway. Yeah, we've got to reverse engineer to understand the methodology. Yeah, and no one can confirm whether the, the, the readings of the data is right or wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: I would say they could do better by being more transparent, by being more professional. If a data is not supported by the underlying assumptions and details, and what we call the data metrics, the data dictionaries, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's not good data anyway. It's just some numbers on the wall. And I, I don't think that's something they have realized. And that comes back to the question, how the decision like this is made. I think it's just made because there's just a lack of real talents at those levels or a team of professionals and talents that are, you know, have to be very good at what they're doing, doing statistics, mm-hmm. at the same time, very good at facing the public. Mm-hmm. Explaining the their data to the public, in the same way, say, we at Big One Lab explain our products to our clients, mm-hmm. you know, in a similar way. Um, at the same time, those people also have to survive in the, the, the point gigantic point. bureaucracy, yeah. right? So, so basically, what we are asking for is someone who is both good at dealing with the subject matter, who's good at dealing with the general public, and who's good at dealing with their colleagues, their peers, and their bosses. This is hard to ask. And it's just, I think a lot of problem in China come back to the the quality of the personnel. And it may not be more complicated than that.
0: That makes sense. Um, This is not the first time a ministry or specialty department did something publicly and did not manage the PR. Yeah. very well. Right? Yeah. And actually what your theory reminds me that might be a systematic characteristic, yeah. right? Because of China's education system in the yeah. first place, right? We have to you know, choose a major in first year yeah. right? while you, when you're in Hong Kong or in mean the US, actually right. we can study interdisciplinary classes right. first. So right. we kind of get trained uh, in the liberal arts basis and got hints or taste, some skill sets yeah. from different um, subjects yeah right so
1: but can, that's not yeah. what most people have access to
0: yeah most people go
1: through their exams the, the 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 learning by road and all that
0: yeah so they maybe they are like people that are in the Bureau of Statistics they are really good at statistics yeah yeah and, it that's, must be. and as well as maneuvering, you know through the you know like you said the promotion system or the political system right, right? to get promoted all the way to the top right but PR is not at least for now, these not the no. biggest training that they need the requirement for them to get to the top yeah. if you look at it this way, how do you think they can do better if they have a multi discipline team <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: well certainly i would just recommend them to treat the public as their as one of their clients right the, the actually data explain well, and if you explain the the biases the um, the the sample size and all these details well wow, can be good can be really helpful. So when there are like say different um, aberrations, different inflection points in the data, people understand whether it's for real or you know whether it's just because of some data irregularities. Um, and you know, you know, for example, youth unemployment is that really bad right now? I mean, just looking at the data, it is telling a bad story, mm-hmm. but The fact is, if we have access to exactly how many people they have surveyed in their statistics, Mm -hmm. what kind of people are responding, right? Are they um, not looking for jobs or are they looking for jobs or don't get any offers? You know, all these details, if are there, could be way more beneficial than just telling a number, right? So, for example, when it comes to, say, youth unemployment, Mm -hmm. this specific matter, I think what the data tells there's still a gap between what the data tells and what the reality is on the ground. So yeah. so like for example, if we tell you youth unemployment in China is over twenty percent and it's getting higher and higher, you imagine, you know, young people don't have any jobs, they, they, they kinda of sleep on the streets, uh, and they're creating troubles, right? Yeah. That's some
0: the implication. When I first saw that news I actually spent there, I think half day getting through the methodology. Yeah, and come to a conclusion that when they say, you know, first of all, the twenty percent seems like so shocking, right? right? But when I came to understand the methodology, of course, it's not the official explanation. But I read some scholar's paper, and there's a number that is like I can come to, which is like six to nine million. Yeah, that's that's a lot, but still, it's smaller scale than the twenty percent of youth right. that's being unemployed, right? So, but on your point, when you say on the ground, the observation difference, how bad? But from your observation, is youth unemployment.
1: Yeah, I think I think one thing that people have to understand is that when we talk about youth unemployment in China, um, it has specific Chinese characteristics. In that, um, if we talk about youth today, like we've talked about people from 16 or 18 to 23, 24, right? Those people were born at the turn of the century. Mm. Most of their parents, they were working in the beginning of the reform and opening up, right? And their parents are the generation, the first generation that have accumulated some wealth. So Chi Ling Ho. Right, yeah. the, the post-70s, 70s, post-70s right? Yeah. They, they have um, apartments, they have some assets. So it's not like, like in some countries, when you talk about youth unemployment, you're talking about young people on the streets doing drugs, right? Yeah. That's the imagery yeah. the Western societies have. In China, it's different. It's not as if they don't have jobs. They actually do have some job opportunities. It's just there's a discrepancy. There's a gap between, I think for many people, there's a gap between the jobs that are offered and the jobs they're willing to take. There's a lot of manual jobs, for example, Mm -hmm. factory jobs that are paid well, but a lot of college graduates won't go down that path. And what's what's the alternative? Well, they can still stay at home. You know, the, the, the parents will still provide, and maybe it's, it's not easy to find a job now, I can find a job later or something. So, so it's a totally different type of unemployment we're talking about here. This is a type of unemployment that may be not so much of a shock to the society at the moment. And the impact could be quite different from, say, youth unemployment in, say, North Africa or the Middle East. It's, it's very different. And I think that's something that we have to understand
0: um, yeah, one of one takeaway I, I get from you is that family actually can, you know, um, support the youth for a while when they're looking yeah. for jobs. So that's kind of China's characteristic. Maybe it's rooted in Confucianism, right? Confucius, yeah. that family will support each other. Right? That's a social system. And, and, and
1: parents yeah. won't, won't just stop providing. You know, if their kids do not have a job, the parents will be anxious, but
0: they will still provide. Yeah. So when we think that way, the social the negative social impact of youth unemployment in China actually is sort of contained yeah. by this social structure. Yeah. Right. Um, I think there's another interesting thing mm-hmm. about structural. So what you say is a structural unemployment issue, right? People yeah. uh, going to colleges in universities do not want to take a blue collar jobs. So I actually seeing I'm seeing more and more youth taking part time gigs. Hmm. on yeah. Su and yeah. TikToks. Yeah. Oh, actually Douyin, right? Right. the Chinese version of TikTok. Right. Um live streaming, right? Uh themselves, you know, performing selling products, writing uh, their stories and posts online about eating, shopping, yeah. traveling. Yeah. And they're making some money. Yeah. Yeah. So with with, with that, right? with that, as well as parent support, yeah, there's, you know, less, I would say less stress for them, but they're still I yeah. guess they're still working. Youth unemployment, on the surface,
1: is an economic question, right? How yeah. many people are employed or not? But the reason we pay so much attention to it is because it's a social and possibly political matter. Mm. Like, right, young people without jobs, what can they do? Um, so, so when we look at this, we have to under, be able to understand the social and political aspects to it. And with that, you have to take you know, family values, social norms into account. So it's not a purely economic matter. But again, if the bureaus they can be more transparent with their methodologies, showing more details of their data, the underlying reasonings, the underlying, you know, the underlying data to ex- explain better the rationale between changes in data, it would be so much better than us here sitting here guessing about, you know, what's the real situation out there. So, Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I agree. And actually the, this discussion actually also Get back to the narrative that mm-hmm. we talked about before. It depends on their priority, right? Their priority yeah. is to be accountable to the super, you know, the, uh, their supervisors, yeah. right, uh, uh, which is the state council. The state council priority maybe is to manage expectations.
1: Yeah. However you
0: do it, right, just manage expectations. Right.
1: Right. It's really something like, as you said, yeah. give you an instruction, yeah. which is vague enough so that you can interpret in your own way. Right? Right. I think it works like in big corporations, big offices. Yeah. You know, it's all the same. The big bosses, they were just maybe given the direction. And uh, the underlings, they choose the best possible, the most efficient method they can think of to comply.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And so I'm always trying to rationalize all these, uh, I would say, incomprehensible uh, events, right? So the rationalization for this is, uh, at the positive spin is that actually they want to manage expectation, which yeah. is the. I wouldn't say smart thing, but but the the, the probably the right direction to do. Yeah, right? to they're boost, not lying flat. Yeah. yeah, compared to you know publishing fake data, right? This is right. actually you know right. a good. I would say in some ways a good tool to use, mm-hmm. right? In terms of managed expectation. Yeah, but then again, mm-hmm. there's aging population. There's mm-hmm. bursting real estates. Uh, so the question now we are hearing that narrative again. Is China collapsing? It's coming back again. <laughs> yeah. Um, every year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> every, every once in a
0: while. Well, actually, it's more now. now it's every quarter. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every day, I would say.
0: Yeah. There's a news article, some commentary yeah.
1: carrying this ethos.
0: I get it. Right. This is an eye-catching topics or uh, eye-catching title for a news article. Right. But in reality, how are we going to spin this? I, I mean, it's not again. Like, it's not as fast-growing, exciting, as yeah. it is for pre-COVID. Yeah. But I'll share my view later, but what are you seeing? Like, like-
1: yeah, I think, um, well, definitely for the for the friends around me, especially, you know, we live in the first-tier cities, right? A lot mm. of, we, we talk with a lot of business people, we talk about a lot of investors. Um, there is a general feeling of pessimism. The lack of confidence is really palpable compared with Many, many years before, I mean this is, I would say this is the most most pessimistic time that I've ever witnessed, yeah. just just looking at the people around me and, yeah. the, and looking at the news headlines from the West, right? yeah. but that's one part of it. Um, there's also more layers to it. you know when you open up a say a, a kind of Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, you have this feeling that China is really like really collapsing, right all the hell is breaking loose, mm-hmm. society is on the brink of disasters. That's the imagery that they try to convey. But I think I do have problem with that part
0: um, because, you know, we... Yeah, I we, call that sensational narrative.
1: Right, yeah. right. But here, we walk on the street, we live our life, And actually, there are things that you cannot really explain if the society is really breaking down. Like, for example, just look at the, 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 the hotel prices, the, 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 the flights, the, you know, the length that we're going to, to Buy the train tickets. Mm. You know, everyone is on the move. If you go to a train station, I know it's a mixture of holiday going as well as you know going to work. It's really hard to reconcile that with an economy that is like just going down. I would say people are less happier than before. I would say some people, a substantial amount of people, are poorer. I would say expectations are less confident than before. Uh, but but you do still feel the urge to work. Mm-hmm. People are still hard working. That's something we ha- want to stress you know, over and over again. And wait for your government to hand out some subsidies or if wait for some
0: miracles to happen. Yeah. People are going, away, going around places. Yeah, definitely I'm seeing that. I think, I think the sentiment come from, you know, there are two major sentiments. Right? One is the uh, disappointment Many people walking out of COVID lockdown is expecting hmm. a rapid V-shaped recovery yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's not happened, that has not happened uh, I didn't expect that given the other countries when they uh, open up yeah. There was no such thing called V-shaped recovery yeah. So why well, would that happen in China? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think second sentiment um, I actually just realized is that this is uh, a first downturn uh, experience by people growing up uh, in our generation, the reform sure. open up generation. True. Sure. I was under the impression that there was, you know, uh, experience in the Asia financial crisis. There, I was too young. Yeah, and then there's the 08, 09 collapse, the financial, uh, what's it, the Great Recession,
1: Yeah.
0: right? But I was in the college, right? I saw that, you know, high unemployment rate, hard to find jobs and things like that. But actually when I asked my friends around my age in China, who grew up in China yeah. during the, those years, yeah. That was the peak years. Remember this, is like yeah. old, old 08 Olympia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Great this, recession for
1: China was like really short.
0: Yeah, they yeah. they didn't feel that. Yeah. So then there's no you know such thing called downturn in their uh, career. Yeah. So this is the first time they face it. So I think that also contributed to Definitely. the yeah. sentiment, right? Yeah. The because when you first like the, I actually. I'm more used to it. I right? guess mm-hmm. it's like you know, I was looking for a job back then you know, all, yeah. all in mm-hmm. Uh Yeah, so that's the two sentiment I observe, and and of course, that's not just. Uh, yeah, so so I agree with you that you know when you look at the sentiment level, it's less happier. Yeah, right? um, but when we look at the working, uh, working bus,
1: yeah.
0: we are working hard. You and I yeah. are working hard. Yeah. Uh, our friends are working hard. Yeah. One interesting thing is that actually many of our friends uh, face like really bad, they had to close down their business. Right? A lot yeah. of entrepreneurs yeah. had to close down their business uh, last year due to COVID. Yeah. And then they actually turned around um, one way or another. Mm. Many of them actually went on live streaming, yeah. <laughs> shared experience and they got popular. Mm. Right? Uh, one of our friends actually had, now is like the, one of the largest influencer on his, I think science education across different platforms. He has like 50 million. Followers. Hmm. He started. I think he pivoted a few times, and then he started his like live streaming and short videos um, two years ago yeah. during COVID, and he turned around. And yeah, so like, people are still working hard. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, you, you mentioned a good point for many of the people of our generation. This is the first big downturn, right? But also, when you also look for longer period of time, even if people, some of people are getting, you know, less rich. Uh, they haven't been rich for a long time anyway, right? If, for many of them, and, and, and for many of their parents, they came from the countryside, they rose rapidly in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, the experience of poverty, the experience of underdevelopment is still very fresh. So even if, what I mean is the work ethics, the the spirit of you know doing hard work, um, making a better life mm-hmm. is still much, pretty much over there. So so I think it's, it's it's also not bad to have some downturn, to witness and experience some downturn in your life, because that's part of life, right? It's all cycles, up and downs. And, and I think for really a lot of people that we know, including ourselves, it's uh, also a, a moment for growth. It's a moment for us to understand, oh, so cash flow is quite important, right? right? Doing, you know, making profit is important, not just like,
0: you know, Top-line grows.
1: Yeah, and, and there will be an end. It, I mean, capital raising is not endless. You know, all these actually pretty important lessons.
0: Like a maturing up yeah. stage, right? growing yeah. from a teenage to a teenager. To, it is, It yeah, is. Chinese economy
1: is yeah. like growing suddenly from a teenage to a kind of more adult life.
0: So speaking of growing up, right, I think the healthcare system is going through some sort of growing up. Yeah, like <laughs> well, a lot of
1: industries yeah. in China, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so I think also people that are focusing on like watching China may have noticed on actually late July, July 28th, the Central Commission for Discipline Inspection
1: Mm. announced that they, yeah,
0: yeah, CCDI actually announced to launch a year-long anti-corruption campaign on China's healthcare industry, especially focusing on the pharmaceutical and medical equipment industry. Right. so here's the, some big numbers. Year-to-date, over 170 hospital heads and party secretary have been investigated. Mm-hmm. Three million medical reps are on denies. They actually went on deleting their WeChat rec- records with doctors. Um, my personal take is that this is part of the uh, mandate to address people's three big mountains, education, right. housing, right. health care. Right. But still, come to a shock, right? Um, I think uh, our, you know, readers, mm-hmm. investors, and business people are, especially those are in the that invested in the healthcare industry, worrying. If you look at the stock price, right? Mm-hmm. They're worrying that is another crackdown, mm-hmm. like uh, the crackdown on education industry. Yeah. Right? Are they going to wipe out? The, I mean, I'm sure it's not. They are not going to wipe out the whole industry. But is it all of that scale? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a question by looking at, if we look at the stock price of those companies, yeah. you see that kind of you know, job. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: well, I think to talk about healthcare, we have to, first of all, think about, well, we have to put these things in the right context. Um, so China's healthcare is far from being perfect, but it also has its many strengths. Uh, for many people who have not been to a Chinese hospital, we have to first give this overview of what China's healthcare system is like, right? Um, I think in all countries' healthcare system, there are different problems, right? We, you know there's a lot of debate about the U.S. healthcare system. There's debates everywhere about different countries' healthcare system. Yep. Overall, I will summarize, um, the, you know, and for any country, their healthcare system, they are facing, I would say, an impossible trinity. Or impossible triangle of three things: affordability. That's for one thing. Whether you can afford the healthcare, mm-hmm. um, accessibility. Whether you can have uh, access to healthcare, mm. and and then the the quality. You know, both the, both the service quality as well as access to uh, good medical equipment, medicines. Just- so so if you put things into this kind of perspective, you can understand where China is coming from. You know, where, where China's healthcare system is situated in this, basically, of these three things, China's healthcare system only sacrifices the last one, the quality, the service quality. I would say the biggest question, the biggest problem with our uh, healthcare, uh, I mean hospitals in China, is that really it's such a crowded place. There's so many, so many patients. The doctors are very impatient, uh, <laughs> right? And um, and it's like you know, if you go to the hospitals, if you go to the surgeries. It always feel like I, you know, every time I go to the hospital, I feel like I'm just a pick. going through the yeah. kind of the, the, the cutting line, right? The, the, the I'm just a product and 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 just going to this procedure and that, not really treated as a human. Right. But I would say that's the only big weakness or, or big issue I find about China's healthcare system. And actually, they sacrifice that in order to achieve the two other goal, you know, which is to make it both affordable and accessible. So affordable. This, you know, we mentioned in our newsletter. Yeah. You know, the, the national, uh, you know, healthcare insurance. They actually compensates a lot.
0: Um, I think like 70 80 percent, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you go to a, visit a you know h- doctor. Um, it's just cost as much as say you know two U.S. dollars per visit.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Right. Even so, at the top hospital.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and accessible is also true. I mean, for most of the diseases. If you just go to the hospital and you make a booking, you make an appointment, you will have it, right? Maybe at the same day, maybe a few days later. Um, they actually, I would say the Chinese government, they, they, they commit a lot of their resources and energy into making this system both affordable and accessible. So if we look at others' healthcare system, like for example the U.S., right? you know which one they sacrifice.
0: Right? That time, right? I got to, I, and affordability. Actually. Yeah, affordability was, as well. Yeah. yeah, like I remember when I was in college, when I have to look at, uh, even in college, I have to make a reservation for like two weeks from now. Yeah. Right, for checking out the code. Right. Right. Then I had insurance, but I still have to pay like a couple hundred US dollar per mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Panadol pr- prescription. Something so, is yeah.
1: unthinkable in China.
0: Yeah. I think for China, what like you say, visitation is two dollar US dollar, yeah, and then Madison, probably fifty RMB, yeah. So that's like six, like seven, six US dollars, yeah, yeah. So this is the setup, right? This is a setup. This is where we begin with. Oh, and I can I can actually reserve or see doctor in the top hospitals, Yeah, like like within a week, Yeah, and there are like 10 top 3A Sanjia hospital for me to choose, which is like the top hospitals nationally. And
1: one thing people don't realize is, you know, because Chinese hospitals are so accessible, the doctors are so busy, they're seeing so many cases, I would say Chinese doctors are way more experienced when, you know, with, you know, similar doctors of similar age. It's more training data. Yes, (laughs) usually 10 times more patients, more cases. So although I would say Chinese doctors, they are they are they are very impatient with you. Yeah. Yeah. They they are really like, they um, they they they're not nice, but they are they get things done. They you break your arm, they fix your arm, pretty well. Um, so I think that's the setup we're facing with. Um, but you have to realize this is also a distorted system. They you know, of all these three three things, they distort one thing, for the benefit of two others. Two others, right? So one distortion, one big distortion, is the whole, you know, the compensation um, system for the doctors. Mm. You know, doctors in many countries are among the highest paying jobs, right? In China, it's more complicated. Uh, for young doctors, most of the doctors, um, the pay is actually, you know, it, it will be shocking to you how, how lowly paid they are. Um, their their wages are similar with say a factory worker. Yeah. It, it's sometimes even lower than that. And why? Because they are, you know, the system is created for the benefit of you know, making it affordable and accessible, right? Mm. So, but then, why should doctors do this? Why should doctors do this kind of job? It's both uh, you know, busy, it has a lot of pressure, you're facing life and death situations, and you're not getting well paid, right? So they have to um, still build more distortions into the system. Right. So for example, every doctor has this goal, that if they rise up to a certain level, their um, their their hospital head or head of the, the practice, um, then that's the t- moment when they can reap the benefits, the the profits. Um, then you will have medical representatives coming here. Um, you know that's also because healthcare in every country is very complicated in the in the sense that you know in, in this industry, the consumer, which is every patient, the actual. Decision maker, which are the doctors, right? Yeah. And the payer usually are the healthcare, uh, the national insurance providers, all the insurance companies. You know, all these different parties. They are they're they're just very. Our agencies just got distorted. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So doctors do enjoy a lot of power, and so in a totally low-paying environment, what should doctors do? All the doctors they keep grinding and working in that environment with the hope that one day they can rise to the top, and. And, and it's basically delayed gratification yeah. for a lot of doctors. So, one distortion in the system leads to more distortions. And for a while, it works. But again, it is corruption. It is corruption. Yeah. This type of corruption, once it persists, will grow into a monster of its own. And for example, over prescription, a lot of doctors will you know, because because they, they need to have some decent income. They just over prescribe. Right.
0: for our readers. So reason for over prescription is that the doctor will get kickbacks. Yes. Through every drugs. That yes. is, every dose of drug that prescribed. Yes. Yeah. But
1: one thing I want to emphasize is that doctors in China get kickbacks. They want to get kickbacks, not because they are greedy. It's because they need to leave. They, yes. they, they yeah. their actual official compensation is not in line with the efforts. And the risks and the hardships they go through as a doctor.
0: Yeah, I can actually, you know, when you talk about overdose, you remind me of um, the film or the incident that I read about the US on OxyContin, right, uh, produced by Purdue Pharma. Yeah. So, so that was a big, big uh, thing that was reported and then you know, followed um, by you know, uh, so many people, I think, in the 80s. Yeah. Um, uh, which is a uh, you know a uh, painkiller drug produced by uh, Purdue Pharma, and then recently there's a TV show on Netflix called Painkiller. Right. Again, talk about this. I-, I don't know if it's dramatic result or not, but mm-hmm. the overdose, you know, um, problem and the outcome of it is actually more saddening in the US. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I watch that you know TV show and that documentary and on OxyContin, I haven't heard that. In China. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do question uh, if the doctor, every time I visit a doctor, if the doctor prescribes too many drugs.
1: A lot right? of them are.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I haven't read reports about a, I would say, a nationwide uh, overspread of certain drugs. Yeah. That's like, out of control and, and creating I, mass issues.
1: Right. I don't think there is, but still, it's a problem. Um, but I just want to um, you know, let our listeners, our audience understand. Um, it's, 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 a, it's not a one-sided problem. It's a result of what the system like this is like. Um, so, and I think once, you know, every once in a while, um, they need to reset the system. They need to, um, uh, you know, create, uh, try to limit the effects of their systematic distortions. But I think the, the next question is, what, what is going to come? You know, what is going to replace this? I think that's a harder question to ask.
0: Yeah, I I am curious about it too.
1: Yeah, so I th- I think one possible offshoot will be, um, I would say if if I imagine myself to be a doctors at the public hospitals, you know some of some of the doctors will maybe choose to leave the public system. Um, actually, there are private hospitals in China. Oh yeah, yeah, but 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 private hospital is never the mainstream part of the China healthcare system because. All the best resources, the best equipment, the best um, mostly the the access to um, you know academic uh, you know av- advancement and the skills and all that, and all the patients are in healthcare public healthcare system. So it's over you know, it's 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 an over concentration of resources medical resources at public healthcare. Public hospitals, especially the top-ranking public hospitals.
0: Yeah, because they're also a really good research institutes.
1: Yes, yes. So the young doctors, you know, however hard the work is, they still want to stay at hospitals and advance their career in those ones. But, but if the current round of corruption anti-corruption campaign persists, I think it's very likely that more and more of the hospital, more and more of the doctors will consider actually leaving the system, uh, you know, once and for all. So. It's likely that the China's healthcare system will develop into more a, you know, on the one side you have many public hospitals, but on the other side you also have many good private hospitals. Um, a tiered system. Yeah, tiered system, right. right. For the rich people, um, they have more to pay for, they have insurance companies, they go to the you know, private hospitals for better services. And um, there are also good doctors over there. Um, and, and the public system will serve their
0: more socialist Conscious, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's possible. Yeah, I think that already sort of exists since there's yeah. VIP um, departments in the hospital, right? yeah. and there's also private hospital. Right. But actually, sometimes try to use the VIP uh, reservation, I get better services because yeah. actually I get, actually get more face time than you know the regular, you know, inpatient. Uh, post which costs two dollars but the for VIPs cost like 50 bucks yeah 50 US dollars yeah still is actually quite affordable it's already for, subsidized from our yeah. point of view right? yeah okay so we talk about three of the most discussed uh, topics yeah uh, on china and i think i uh, hope our readers can get something out of it um, what's upcoming for writings
1: yeah for the upcoming week um, we will continue the yeah we just uh tell the story of uh, the small little city called Gaoyu um, in the Jiangsu province, a very ordinary city. And we told the story of, uh, of that as an example of what many cities in China are like. And we try to understand what China's future will hold from this little microscopic view of a very ordinary place, right? So we just published uh, part one. Um, I think next week we're going to publish the part two and I think personally, I think that's the even the more interesting part of the the, the series, uh, because there's a lot of the you know more you know human level uh, reading, human level understanding of what China's local government is um, you know how they're thinking and how they're interacting with local businesses. So for that, definitely stay tuned. Um, well, within this week, we are also um, we're going to discuss more in deep, in depth about a company, uh, Pinduoduo, which is a highly uh, you know, watched-after and highly controversial Chinese e-commerce platform. Um, so we're going to look at uh, the, their, their recent growth um, and their challenges for today. Um, and we will um, also look at um, a fast-growing Western brand, which is Lululemon, huh? um, in their, their, their performance in China. A lot of our uh, readers are uh, you know, curious about um, how how Lululemon is Luleman is doing? And they seems to be doing pretty well. Um, so, for more details, definitely stay tuned to us. Great. All the-